This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 277. Show notes for this episode, including any links or resources mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes for our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 277. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hey mamas, happy Monday. So before we dive into our content today, I wanted to make a quick announcement that Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas, which is our membership community, it's a 12-month membership community, enrollment is currently closed for that. Registration is not open, but it will be reopening in November. And I've been getting a lot of emails. People have been hearing me talk about it. People are wanting to know, like, what is this thing? So quick rundown is that the Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas is a membership community where we meet every week. There's group coaching calls. It's fabulous. It's a place where moms show up when they want to build momentum in any area of their life. And so what's happened, it originally launched in August. And just a couple months since launching, people have accomplished amazing, amazing, shameless things. I have mamas who have found new jobs. One woman went in, asked for a raise, got a $12,000 raise because that's what happens when you shamelessly share your worth with your boss sometimes. Other mamas are practicing 30 minutes of self-care every damn day right now for the month of October, just building in space and grace and relaxation into their daily schedules and really loving that. There's just all sorts of really, really cool things happening. And I'm blown away by the transformation that has happened in such a short amount of time. Ooh, another mama lost like 15 pounds in the first four weeks in the program because she just set some goals around that and followed through because she had the accountability of the group. So we meet every Monday virtually via Zoom video conference call. And then we have our Facebook group where we're connecting every day. And it's just a really powerful, positive, purposeful place where some amazing things are taking place. So if that sounds up your alley, if you're like, yes, I need some momentum mamas in my life, just shoot me an email at info at shamelessmom.com. And I will add you to the wait list for when I open enrollment in November. So I just wanted to let you all know that since I've been getting questions about it. And now I'm going to dive into today's content. I'm kind of doing this in place of, I know normally I do at this point in the show, I do our Shameless Mom of the Week. I'm going to do like a collective Shameless Moms of the Week because multiple moms reached out to me and asked after my episode 271 about how to not raise a rapist, a bunch of moms reached out and said, 
this is great. And also, how do we talk to our girls and how do we protect our girls? Because my episode about how to not raise a rapist was all about the emotional intelligence of little boys which is really important, really powerful. So I will have that episode. It's episode 271, but I'll also have it linked in the show notes, of course. And I was like, yeah, so that's like a whole nother conversation and a totally separate conversation to talk about how do we protect our girls? And also, it's not just about protecting our girls because our boys are at risk too. They're definitely, boys are not as high risk as girls in terms of statistically speaking. When we talk about statistics for victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault, you know, there's the statistics in terms of like what's reported. And then there's estimates about what goes unreported. And it's hard to know what goes unreported and have like firm data on that, because it hasn't been reported. But we know that most abuse and assault is not reported. So I'll give you some statistics that will be hopefully helpful in kind of, you know, distinguishing all of this. So we know that a woman is sexually assaulted every 98 seconds in the U.S. So these statistics include men and women as in terms of like grownups. These are not children specific statistics. The majority of sexual assaults happen at or near home. That is 55% of them happen at or near home. One in six American women report being the victim or attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. One in 33 men report being the victim of attempted or completed rape in his lifetime. These statistics do not account for unreported cases, and only 33% of sexual assault cases are reported, meaning that it's probably more likely for women that it's more like one in three versus one in six. And so we know that this is happening at a much greater rate than what is reported. We also know that because of awareness and education that assaults are down. I don't have the specific numbers right in front of me, but I did some research on this and everything I got was from rain. And so I'll link to rain. It's an amazing organization and they had a ton of data on this stuff and I got some really great resources. So I will link to that in the show notes. Rain stands for rape, abuse and incest national network. So it's R A I N N. So if you want like more data around this, you can definitely go check them out over at rain.org R A inn.org and I'll have that linked in the show notes as well. So we know that the majority of people who do not report don't report because they're afraid of further abuse and or retaliation by their offender. And we know that from 2009 from 2013, so over a four-year period, Child Protective Service agencies substantiated or found strong evidence to indicate that 63,000 children are victimized every year. So while there's data to support that these numbers are going down a little, it's still a huge thing. But what's bringing numbers down and incidents down is because there's so much knowledge and information about how to give people tools to prevent, to protect, and to stop some of this that doesn't completely stop it, but it definitely helps. So that's kind of where I wanted to come in and make sure that I was giving you some tools that might be helpful in terms of protecting your kids from predators. And so I'm going to be talking about protecting little boys and little girls, even though the requests that I got were like, how do we protect our girls? But I want to just point out that boys are also victimized. For children, I don't have the numbers in terms of how common it is for little boys versus little girls, but I know that they're both victims. So a lot of this information will apply to boys and girls. Okay, so I'm going to just go through like a bunch of stuff here and you might want to take some notes. I'll tell you, this timing was really interesting because I got these requests over the course of the last week for me to put together this information, for me to do an episode on how to protect little girls. And the last request that I got was on Saturday, I think. And it was like in the middle of the day. And I was like, okay, that's it. Like, I'm taking my laptop. I'm going to go sit at a restaurant. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon and I was about to eat lunch. And I was like, I'm going to go to this restaurant. I'm going to sit at the bar. I'm eating lunch at 3 p.m. because my family was gone for the weekend without me, which was amazing. So I was like, I'm going to go sit at this bar, have a glass of wine, eat my lunch at 3 p.m. And I'm going to like hammer out this research. And so, which is what I did. So I basically was just like, it's time to get down to business. And so that's what I did. And I was thinking that, you know, I joke that my mommy podcast is not about how to train your kid or to get through sleep training. And it's generally not parenting advice. It's way more like women advice and how to like protect yourself from motherhood. <laughs> but I think that 
this is an exception. And this is a place where I do want to shamelessly declare that I will in a few instances use my platform to give parenting advice. And especially when it comes to protecting your kids from sexual violence, I think that it's a great service to you. I think that there's like very few things that are more important for me to talk about. The timing on this episode is crazy because I started putting all of my notes together for this and felt like my notes were pretty complete, pretty solid. And then I had to go to do a training for Vinny's school. So in order to volunteer at Vinny's school in any capacity, you have to do what's called like a safe schools training. And for the Catholic school, Archdiocese in Seattle, it's like this diocese wide training. And like, I thought it was going to be about like where the fire exits are at school. Like I did not know what I was getting myself in for when I showed up for this training yesterday. And it was all about like detecting abuse, protecting kids against abuse, reporting abuse, all these things. And so I was like, oh, like I had no idea this is what I was walking into. And I so spent like three hours of my Monday talking about this same thing. So it actually was kind of helpful because it gave me a little more information about this topic and just again made me realize how significant important relevant it is in any landscape but really right now so much so okay let's get started here so how to protect little girls and little boys from predators first things first you teach them the right words for body parts. I talked about this on my interview with Amy Lang, and I will link to that interview in the show notes. Amy Lang is an expert. Her profession is talking with parents about how to talk to your kids about the birds and the bees. And one of the things she's really firm about is that you use the correct terminology to talk about body parts. And you do that from a very young age because it is a safety issue. So like you don't call a little girl's vagina a cupcake. And the example that she gives with this is... Like, I don't know if this is an urban myth or not, but the example is that if you're like, oh, you know, go in the bath and wash your cupcake. And then a little girl is abused and she's like, Uncle Tommy touched my cupcake. And you're thinking like, Uncle Tommy touched her cupcake. Like, what did he like lick the frosting off? Like, you think she's talking about a literal cupcake and she's talking about her private area and talking about something that happened. And as the urban myth goes, it's that abuse can be sometimes we don't know that abuse is being reported because we're using cutesy words for genitalia. And so it's really, really important that you are using the correct terms. So like when Vinny takes a bath, we talk about wash your penis, wash your scrotum. I'm not like, wash your wee wee. No. And he like thinks it's hilarious. We talk about testicles, which he calls tentacles. Like we talk about all these things. So he knows what they're called. So if someone were to touch him in a certain area, it would be really clear for us to get that information. Like, did they touch your scrotum? Did they touch your penis? Did they touch your bottom, your butthole? Like whatever, like very clear terminology. And that's not not always easy. Like I, a lot of times want to be like, scrub your bum. And then I'm like, no, no, no. Like I try to be always be really specific. Also give your kids. And again, some of this is going to be up to you to understand what's age appropriate and what's not, but give your kids statistics or information about predatory behavior so that they can be prepared. And if anything happens that they can share knowing that they're not among the minority, because this is not a situation that happens to just a small percentage of people being victimized and inappropriately touched is something that happens to many, many people. So not that you want to be like, everyone's going to be traumatized, but you want to make it really clear that they're not going to be like the weirdo freak show if they come out with this sort of information. So let them know what they're looking for. And also that this happens and it's a bad thing, but it happens and we need to be talking about it and keeping it like really kind of, like part of your common, consistent conversation. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, it's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Also teach them how to use their voices and stand up for themselves. And so this is from an early age, teach your children to be self-advocates. You know, Vinny, when he was two, he kept getting bitten in his two-year-old preschool classroom. And I remember at the time I was really worried. I thought, oh my gosh, is he going to be a victim of bullying later on? Because he lets the same kid bite him like every single day. And he didn't cry. He didn't speak up. He would just come home with bite marks on him. And the teachers often didn't even know because he wasn't really reacting to it. And it became really concerning to me. And so we practiced at age two, we had him practicing, no, you can't bite me. And we literally practiced over and over. And I would tell him like, if you go to school and -and so-and-so bites you, what do you say? And then I would make him practice. No, you can't bite me. So just literally practicing role-playing for your kids, the power of saying no, the power of having boundaries, the power of saying that's not okay. So we had an incident in his classroom recently where he told me that someone pulled down his pants and like this sounds like it was in the middle of classroom like busyness like this was not a creepy like private time in the bathroom with another kid situation and then he came to me and he said he's like yeah so-and-so pulled my pants down today and I was like what I was like where where were you he's like we were on the carpet I'm like okay this was like in the middle of the classroom I said well were there other kids there he's like yeah were the teachers there he's like yeah so I think his pants got pulled down like an inch and slightly exposed his underwear is what I'm assessing. But we immediately talked about like, did you tell anyone? No. What did you do? Like, and so I said, okay, so if that happens again, what do you do? So we talked about first thing is that you tell the person who's doing that. You say, no, you cannot pull down my pants. And then you immediately go and you tell a teacher, so-and-so just pulled down my pants. And then when I pick you up that day, you say, mom, so-and-so pulled down my pant. Like there's like three layers to reporting so that your kids immediately are being trained to be reporters. Like basically you want to train them to be tattletales when it comes to their body space. So we had that conversation and I talked to the teacher about it and she's like, we both think it was like a very small kind of playful thing that might've just been kind of amidst like roughhousing with kids, but it's still a really appropriate conversation to be talking about this is not okay. Like, it's not okay for anyone to pull down my pants. You tell friends immediately, like, no, you can't pull down my pants. And also, let me just clarify when he said this friend pulled down his pants, like they didn't pull down his underwear. I think they pulled down his pants like two inches. He pulled them back up. Like it wasn't like a big exposure incidence or anything. So, but you do teach them how to use their voices. You teach them to be loud and big with their emotions and their voices. Let them practice feeling fully without shutting them down or teaching that they should be quiet or demure or inferior. And this especially goes for girls. Don't teach your girls that they should be little and meek and demure because that sets them up to be victims. If you are not giving your girls places to be big and loud and powerful, like we kind of 
there's a lot of places where we train that in boys. We don't train that in girls. We train it in girls to be more quiet and more demure. And we teach them to be small from a very young age. So catch yourself. You need to be teaching your kids, boys and girls, to be big and loud with their emotions. If your kid is angry or upset, it's okay for them to scream it out. I understand that's ridiculously annoying when you're in the middle of something. But if you're not training them to be in touch with their emotions and be connected to their emotions, they're not going to be able to explain their emotions to you if they're victimized. And they're going to put themselves at risk of being victimized because they look powerless and behave in a more powerless way. And they're also going to put themselves at risk because if they're experiencing big emotions, they're more going to be more likely to stuff them if you have not given them a place to have big emotions in a safe place at home, in a safe way at home. Also, Put your daughters, especially in positions of power, let them lead, let them lead in conversations and family activities and extracurricular activities. When you give kids and especially girls positions of leadership and you empower them, you're giving them opportunities to use their voice. So they're going to be less likely to be victims if you are showing them their power from a very young age. If you are showing them that their voice matters, that they are leaders, that they are independent, that they can't be taught or limited to being like small and quiet and all those kinds of things. A lot of this is about empowering our girls just to be strong, independent women. And that will make them less likely to be victims down the road because they're going to be less likely to be targets if they look like and come across like someone who is going to stand up loud and proud and scream from the rooftops if someone tries to victimize them. Also, teach them how to take up space and not cower. For example, I noticed recently in Vinny's soccer team I think there's four boys and three girls. And I noticed that the girls are quick to kind of, it's getting better, but some of them are quick to stand back a little bit when the boys are attacking the ball. And the boys are like, they are on it. Like they're going for it. They are all in. And sometimes if a little girl sees a little boy coming toward them, they'll kind of step to the side a little bit. And so make sure that you're giving girls a place to be dominant and give them a place to be powerful. And that might be through sports. That might be through self-defense classes or like karate, sports, jiu-jitsu, those kinds of things for kids can be a really great way to show them power and to help them cultivate and develop power. Teach them self-defense. So the greatest thing I learned when I took self-defense recently was the power in using your voice and screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming, that you don't ever stop screaming when you're being victimized, that you don't ever stop fighting. So you kick and you scream until someone comes to help you or until you can get out of the situation. And that was a huge takeaway for me because I realized when that was presented as one of our most powerful weapons, I realized that if... Probably my natural instinct in a situation of victimization would be to be quiet just because I think that so in situations in high stress responses, we fight, flight or freeze. And my inclination, and I know because this has happened to me when I worked in the psychiatric hospital and got attacked by kids more than one time, my inclination is to freeze and so I have to recognize that if someone were to grab me in a back alley, my inclination would be to freeze and to be very quiet. And so I have to be mindful that I would need to push myself to use my voice and to scream and to scream and to scream. Also, tell your kids that we believe people when they come forward and tell their stories. We believe women. We believe girls who come forward and share stories of assault. Same thing with little boys. We believe people who report because the percentage of people reporting fabricated stories is so low that like it's kind of a non-issue in comparison to those who are telling the truth and who those who need to get their stories out, whose lives can be saved from getting their stories out and whose predators can be caught from getting these stories out. So let them know, let your kids know that we believe victims. We believe these stories when we hear them. And so when Vinny came home to me and told me the other day about this little girl pulling his pants down, I said, I'm so proud of you for coming to me. I believe everything that you just said. 
And also, this was really, really smart of you and really brave of you to tell me right away. Like, I didn't want to make it into a super big deal to be like, you did a really scary thing. Because I don't think he saw it that way. But I just said, I'm really proud of you for telling me right away. That was a really smart choice. That was a really safe choice. So not just being dismissive at all, not being like, oh, whatever. It's just your pants, like just your underwear showed a little bit. Like I was not dismissive of it. I was immediately like, I believe you. I am proud of you for telling me this. It's important that you tell me if someone touches you, tries to pull down your clothes, anything. Like you always tell a safe grown up, which means either your teacher or mom and dad. Always, always. Also, teach your kids that when an assault happens or any sort of victimization happens, that the shame is all on the predator. There is nothing that a child can ever do to, quote unquote, ask for that kind of behavior or be deserving of the violence against them. So make sure that you let them know that if someone does something like this, it's always that person's fault. It's never your fault. And you'll never be in trouble for coming and telling me about it. You will never be in trouble for telling me that someone did something that made you feel uncomfortable. And then, of course, if they come and tell you that, like right away, when Vinny started telling me about this little girl pulling his pants down, I said, I'm so glad you told me you would never get in trouble for telling me anything like that. Like making sure that there's really open space for that kind of conversation immediately. Also, let your child, your children, see you shutting down certain kinds of behaviors. So cat calls, conversations that make women look up, come across as small, conversations that minimize women's stories or experiences, these daily subtle behaviors that happen that we sometimes don't even notice till after they've happened. We have to be conscientious of how we are letting our kids witness this kind of behavior. So if someone calls you on the street and your child is standing there with you, I mean, as long as it's safe, you stand up for yourself in that situation and be like, dude, that's not cool. Like, you're not allowed to talk to me like that. Really important that your kids see you setting boundaries. When you hear someone making fun of a woman's behavior, a woman's clothes, a way a woman dresses, right away, you shut that down. One of my like, something that makes me cringe more than anything else is if someone sees someone wearing something and they're like, oh, she really should not be wearing that. Like that really is not flattering. That kind of stuff, not cool, not cool at all. And those kinds of conversations in front of kids, not cool, not appropriate. So as soon as you hear something like that, you shut down that conversation. I will say like, this happened to me this summer, a friend of mine, her husband decided to do a uh, whole 30 and we were out with them and he was like maybe 10 days into it or something. And so he's telling me about it and he's like, yeah, you know, like this is what I've been doing and I'm feeling great and blah, blah, blah. I have so much energy and whatever. And their nine-year-old daughter sitting right next to him while he's telling me all this. And then he goes, yeah, I've lost like five pounds or seven pounds or something already. And I was like, wow. I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then the mom, like this was like totally just ingrained programming to me. The mom immediately chimes in and she goes, yes, it's really amazing that he's feeling so healthy. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Like it's not about the weight loss. It's not about shrinking behavior, whether that's in men or women, it's never about glorifying shrinking behavior. So I was like, yeah, that's so great that you're feeling more energized and that you're feeling really good. And like, that's really great. But I love that she immediately shut down. Like we are not glorifying that my husband just lost five pounds in seven days. Like that's not the conversation here. That is not what my nine-year-old daughter is going to hear. And so like she totally caught me and I was like, oh my God, thank you. So catching yourself in those kinds of things, like you might think that that's a little tangential to what we're talking about here, but it's those little subtle conversations that take away women's power when we attribute positive attributes to shrinking behaviors. Okay. Teach your daughter and sons how to have conversations around consent that no means no. So this is going to be a little more along the lines for teenagers, but no means no. Also teach your daughter that she could be in a situation where she didn't say no and things could happen against her will and she would still be the victim. So the verbalization of no is not the only way to say no. So you teach her about fight, flight, and freeze. She might be a freezer. Explain what that means. Explain that like you might be in a situation where you get really uncomfortable and you feel like you don't even know how to speak up. And so you can do other things. You can show no in other kinds of language with your body language. You can wrestle to get away. You can not say yes. You know, and then moms also have the responsibility of making sure that we know, and I talked about this in the episode about how to not raise a rapist, that no means no, but also a woman's uncomfortable behavior also means no. 
A woman like holding her breath means no. A woman not being able to make eye contact or maybe twisting uncomfortably beneath you or twisting uncomfortably like as you're trying to hug her or kiss her or whatever, like all these things mean no. So yes, we have to give our daughters the vocabulary to say no. And then we also have to teach our sons what different body language things can mean because sometimes in the middle of terror, you cannot find your voice. Okay. Do not make your children hug anyone they don't want to hug, including you. So one of the things made me crazy in preschool, there was someone in the school who I adored, an older woman, the nicest woman ever. So sweet. She always wanted to hug Minnie and she wanted to like trade him hugs for snacks. So I would be dropping him off in the morning and we would walk by the area that she worked in the school. And she'd be like, Oh, Vinny, come give me a hug. He was like, never into it. And then she'd be like, I'll give you a cracker. And I was like, no, you don't have to hug her. You don't have to hug anyone. You don't want to hug. Nope. You don't have like, (laughs) so usually, I mean, like literally for two years, he never gave her a hug. He finally opted into a couple hugs, like after a couple years. But I was like, no, like I will never make you hug anyone. Whether that is my mother, my sister, your dad, me, the people at school, like you never have to hug someone that you don't want to hug. So we teach boundaries and the respect of body boundaries from a very young age. No one can touch you without your permission, including mommy, daddy, grandma, grandpa, teachers, etc. So have that conversation early on. And then you take it further to be like, also, no one ever touches your private areas like your penis or your vagina without asking first. Even your doctor needs to ask first. And so every time I take Vinny to the doctor for a checkup, I'll say, and the doctor's really good about this too, but she'll say like, okay, now we're going to do this part of the exam and I'm going to have you pull down your pants. Is that okay? And I always reiterate and say, remember how we talked about these are the people that are allowed to touch our private areas. And remember, they always ask first, just like Dr. Chanel just asked. And like, we review it in that instance too. So he totally knows like who is allowed to touch and not touch. And even the people who are allowed to touch still ask permission. Teach your kids to follow their gut and learn to listen to their intuition. This is not natural for people pleasers like myself. You must train this. So if something doesn't feel right, if maybe your daughter has a friend or son has a friend and they're like, I don't want to spend the night at that person's house. Like something's creepy, whatever. They don't have to. I had a friend in middle school whose dad creeped me out so bad And I just remember being in her house and being like, I'm not making eye contact. I'm not making eye contact. And he never did anything to me, but I just remember feeling so uncomfortable. And I wish that I had had a place or space to share that. There was like no conversation like this when I was little. And so I remember just saying, like, I remember telling other friends, like, when I go over there, her dad's creepy. But like, I didn't even think to tell my own mom. And I didn't think to say, like, I don't want to go over there anymore. I just was like really avoidant of him, but I really thought he was creepy. And when I look back again, he didn't do anything to victimize me, but he did have some weird social skills (laughs) that were a little creepy to me that I still like, I still stand behind that. And when you see physical boundaries getting blurry in movies, then you push pause and you talk it out. So when you're watching TV shows with your kids or movies with your kids, pause and ask them like, Hey, I just saw this happen. What would you do in that situation? Talk about what's okay and what's not. And let them know that a lot of what Hollywood puts out there is not demonstrative of how consent actually works, especially as they get a little older. There are plenty of scenes in movies where like a woman is wrestled into consent and it's kind of, especially like in romantic comedies, it can look a little like, oh, it's just cute and fun. But in reality, that's not cute and fun if you're feeling victimized in that situation. So be really clear when there's teachable moments in media to be like, Hey, I just saw this, like that looked uncomfortable to me. How would you handle that situation? Because like this cute little wrestling, like, no, you really do want to kiss me in like a romantic comedy scene where the guy's like, I'm going to wrestle you to the bed. And the girl's like laughing, like, no, ha, ha, ha. like, that's a great opportunity to talk about consent right there to be like, well, what would you do in that situation? Like, she's saying no and kind of wrestling her way out of it. And he's like kind of pushing, like, what do you think about that? And how would you feel? Like that's a really teachable moment. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters 
and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Also teaching your kids that we don't keep secrets in our family and we don't play games that involve keeping secrets. So this is something that we've had to talk about because somewhere along the line, Vinny got into this like, it's so laughable when I say it out loud, but at some point I was getting honey roasted peanuts at Trader Joe's a lot. And he started this thing. We're like, we're not going to tell Papa that we got honey roasted peanuts. We're going to hide them. It's a secret. And this happened over the course of, this was like two summers ago. We were camping at one point and he was like, don't tell Papa. It's a secret. Like hide it from Papa. So finally I was like, okay, we need to like have a conversation about like things that we hide because it's one thing to be like keeping secrets about honey roasted peanuts, but like we don't keep secrets in this family. And so now we kind of change the talk around that and the conversation around that so that we can be really clear that we don't keep secrets. And so that was a part of the conversation yesterday that I had with him around this situation with his pants getting pulled down. I was like, you know that like we never keep secrets. If someone ever asks you to keep a secret, you just say in my family, we don't keep secrets. If a grown up, even someone that you trust asks you to keep a secret, you always come and tell mom and dad, like we do not keep secrets. Our belief is that secrets are not safe. And so if, if someone tells you a secret, you come and tell us. Now, of course, that's going to change when a kid is like, you know, 12. And they're like, you know, I have a secret crush on someone like that's obviously going to be different. But a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old does not need to have any secrets. <laughs> like there are no secrets and they need to have the boundaries around terminology to know that that terminology, that like the word secret is not a safe word because that can protect them so much down the road if they know that that's not a safe word. So also like we don't parents against each other to say like, don't tell mom I gave you ice cream for dinner. Like that's a secret. No, no, no. Because that's teaching kids that we keep secrets about certain behaviors. So we don't do that. Like there's other ways to work around that, but we don't keep secrets about anything, especially at these young ages. So here are the reasons that victims don't report. And then we're going to talk about predators. So here's reasons people don't report because of fear of more abuse, because of fear of retaliation. A lot of predators will threaten retaliation and they might threaten to continue hurting your child. They might threaten to hurt you. So like, I mean, a common threat from a predator is if you tell your mom and dad about this, I will hurt them or I will kill them. Like those kinds of things. They tell very, very scary retaliatory things. And so that's a huge reason that abuse is not reported or takes a long time to get reported. Victims don't report to the police because they believe the police will do nothing. 
sexual assaulters face less time in jail than any other offenders. The research statistics on this on rain.org are crazy. So adult victims know this and they're like, am I going to go through all of this? Am I going to go through all of the trauma of reporting, which reporting is absolutely trauma. Sometimes it's just as traumatic as the actual offense. So am I going to go through all the trauma of reporting only to have this person get like two or three years and be back out on the streets victimizing again. Another reason people don't report is that victims think that things should be kept a private matter. So this is where it's so important that we give victims a voice. They also sometimes don't want to get the perpetrator in trouble. So I listened to an amazing interview by Sean T on Lewis Howe's School of Greatness podcast. And he talked about being abused as a little boy and that he really loved his perpetrator and it was someone who was really special and important in his life. He also talked about feeling like on a certain level, he enjoyed the abuse. Like there was a connection and an intimacy there, like not in a sexual way, but there was a connection and an intimacy there that he enjoyed. Like it was this very special relationship where he felt very important to this person. And so he didn't report for a really long time because he felt so guilty about like, he had this sense that like something was not right, but also he liked this person. And we'll talk about predators in a minute, but know that oftentimes predators have built trusting relationships with kids before preying on them or before victimizing them on a deeper level. And so that makes it much harder for them to report because they're like, but I trust this person. This is my friend. You know, this is my uncle. This is my godparent. This is my coach who I adore. This is my camp counselor who I look up to and want to be just like when I turn 18 or whatever. So it's people who are close to them. And then also that people don't report because they don't believe it was important enough to report. They don't have the self-worth. They don't think that they're important enough. So who are predators? Predators are for the most part people that you know. And one of the things that came up over and over again in the training that I was in yesterday was talking about, there's a lot of information out there about like just full out, you know, rape in the park incidents where it's this like big trauma that's by a stranger and you know women running at 6 a.m in the morning get attacked and pulled into the park and raped in the bushes or whatever so like big huge traumatic things that's what a lot of the attention is on in terms of the trauma and like you know how to report and where to report and pressing charges and all those kinds of things there's not nearly as much attention on victimization that happens over time. And these are the things that are just as dangerous and much more common victimization that happens by people that we know who are in our daily life, who are very close to our families, who have built trusting relationships with us. These are the much more likely people to victimize us. So your chances of getting like raped at gunpoint at the park are very low. Not to say that you shouldn't like be smart about protecting yourself in those situations and be aware that those things can happen, but it's more likely, and obviously, especially for children, it's much more likely that they are going to be victimized within the confines of a trusting relationship. So predators are people that you know. Predators are people who have had time to build relationships and establish trust. That is part of the process for them. Part of the training that I was in they interviewed two predators and one of them talked very deeply about for him, the chase of establishing trust over time, over the course of a year or two, like that was a huge part of the process for him that he got thrills out of building these trusting relationships with his victims and seeing like, how can I push this just a little bit at a time? And it started with, so he was a dad and his children would have friends over to spend the night. And it was just like little steps, like just little things. Like, can I get this kid to come in the living room with me by himself and just show him like a random book? Can I get him to come down to the basement with me? So it wasn't, and like give him a piece of candy. So it was just little things building trust. There was nothing. It wasn't like the day he met this kid, he started touching him. It was little things building trust over time, building relationships over time. So that these kids then from there, they could start to push physical boundaries. Oftentimes pushing physical boundaries is a process called touch desensitization. And so it goes from, you know, establishing a little bit of a friendship to like, Ooh, let's have a tickle fight. And, Oh, I want to give you a hug and I'm going to give you more hugs and come sit on my lap. So it's this touch desensitization so that when it gets to the part of actually being sexually aggressive, that they've been desensitized to the perpetrator's touch. 
So notice people who have inappropriate boundaries where you're like, why is that parent always hugging every kid? You know, like parents should be giving like fist bumps, high fives and side hugs. I worked in a psychiatric hospital and that's all we were ever allowed to do. And even that it was like not on an excessive level, fist bumps, high fives and side hugs. There was like no frontal hugging. We didn't sit on kids beds. We didn't have kids sitting on our laps. And sometimes these were like four and five year old kids that actually still needed some coddling. And we were like, yeah, like they need to have their parents come in for a visit because we're not going to sit here and we might sit next to them. Like, Two, two chairs side by side and rub their back if they were really upset about something. But we had to be really careful with physical boundaries. And because a lot of these kids had physically victimized through physical or sexual abuse, it was really important that we showed them appropriate touch and appropriate boundaries. So even when the five or six-year-old was like begging to climb in my lap, you're like, no, actually you can sit next to me. I'm happy to give you a side hug. Let me like pat your back for a minute. But like showing them what appropriate touch is, is so important. Also knowing that that perpetrators are not physically distinguishable. So there's no physical attributes where you can be like, that person's a total creeper. It's not how it works. Like they totally blend in. They look normal. They're often very engaging. They ingratiate themselves into communities and into group situations. So they seem like fun Uncle Bobby or like the new church volunteer who just got done from the Peace Corps. And you're like, wow, look at them saving the world. They are ridiculously charming. And I can tell you, I've worked with grown-up predators and child predators. They are so charming, which brings me to a, a really important point that predatory behavior is not always adult on kids. It can be kid on kid. So really also be thinking about kids that are really charming, kids that have poor boundaries, kids that are like, you know, your kid's friend who's like wanting to wrestle a little too much or like wanting to play in the bathroom with the door closed or like just anything that seems a little off, know that it can be kid on kid too. So it's peer victimization is also definitely a thing to be keeping an eye out for. So statistics show that your child is way more to be likely to be victimized by someone that they know than by a total stranger. These predators are family members, their family friends, their coaches and priests and teachers and anyone who has access to large communities of kids. They are people who've had time to groom your kids in order to build trust and rapport. And they're people who your kids like and trust and admire and respect. So that's where it becomes so sticky because these kids are like, but I like this person. I like coach Bob. Also know that they often already know their predators. The predators are building trust with them. Predators are giving gifts and doing favors and doing things to make your child feel very special and connected to them. Predators often will isolate your child to get him or her alone. So, you know, hey, why don't you come, you know, run this quick errand with me or come into this other part of the building with me or come over here and we'll do this special thing together. Like I said, they desensitize children to touch through tickle fighting, through quote unquote accidental touching, sitting on laps, hugging and kissing that's inappropriate. They also secure secrecy. They make sure that the child knows that they have a special relationship. So lots of information in here. This might require more than one listen to get through all of this. Know that when you talk to your kids about reporting, that you let them know the importance of reporting has to do with them processing. And you tell them this, you know, hopefully before something happens, you let them know that if something were to happen, I would want you to tell me right away so that you could, and obviously your wording on this would depend on the child's age, but so that you can process your trauma so that you can feel better every day so that you can prevent the victimization of other kids and so that you can punish the offender. So obviously you can word that in a way that's age appropriate for your child, but letting them know how important it is for them to actually tell so that they can move on. The statistics around people who are abused becoming abusers are very high. The statistics around people who are abused becoming depressed, suicidal, really struggling with their mental health, also very high. That's why one of the many reasons it's so important to be having these conversations. So, whew, so much information here. I'm going to follow up in the show notes with the link to the RAIN site. I'm also going to link to an article from Parents Magazine on how to protect your kids from predatory behavior. And then I'm also going to link to a couple books and they're kind of go through an, a series of different levels of age appropriate ones. But the first one is It's Not the Stork, which I talk about in my interview with Amy Lang, but a really important first book with kids that talks all about appropriate 
terminology with labeling body parts. It basically talks about how babies are made, hence why it's called It's Not the Stork. But it's an age-appropriate way to tell your kids about sex. If your kids don't know what sex is and someone is trying to have sex with them, you're not doing them any favors. So having these conversations really young is actually really important. They need to know what these things are because that's how they protect themselves. So how you choose to deliver that information is up to you. But having your five and six-year-old know what sex is, is not a bad thing. That actually gives them power. And I know people are going to listen to this and be like freaking out that I would suggest that. But I will tell you that when you talk about it in a super matter of fact way, it's like not a big deal. When you tell a kid about sex and not a panicky kind of way, when they're really young, they're like, okay, whatever. Like they don't care. They're not internalizing it. Like, wait, what? Like mommy and daddy do what? They're like, okay, whatever. Like when we go through with a book, it's not the stork. Vinny's like, wait, I want to go back to the page that has the buttocks on it. Like all he cares about is the picture with the buttocks. Like he thinks it's hilarious. He doesn't care at all about page like 56 or whatever. That's like the mommy's egg and the daddy's sperm. So like we've gone through that page, but he doesn't really care about it. So we're the ones that make sex really big and weird for our kids. And that makes them more able to be victimized and more likely to not share because they don't have a deep enough understanding about victimization. So it's really, really important that we are talking about this all in an age appropriate way, but in a very open and powerful way for our kids. So I hope this was helpful. Let me know. I'm open to feedback. And of course, you can follow up this conversation on our Facebook group and on our Instagram page at the Shameless Mom Academy. And I just appreciate you being here for this conversation. I know it's not easy and it's not fun, but it's really, really important. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show. So you never miss an episode. You can do that directly. If you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, that will put you in Apple podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences, letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media tag me at the shameless mom academy on facebook or instagram i'm quick to reply and eager to send you facebook love and love to be connected to all of you so again thank you for being here i can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days and until then no matter what you do today make sure you do it shamelessly Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.